This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. Yep. Let me get my water. All right, this is episode 10 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gugat. Poobah, sounds like you're hydrated. Poobah, everything uh, is doing here just fine. I'm in Florida, a beautiful weather day, and uh, lots of great news stories percolating out there. How about you, JP? There is a lot of stuff. It's uh, close to the end of the week, so I can't complain. I'm getting ready for um, a trip to the Masters with uh, all your golf folk, Neil. I'm hoping you're going to at least send me some pictures. Um, it's an event I've never been to. I have been to many great events, but the Masters is not one of them. I kind of feel like a poser. I feel like I should give you my, my VIP passes. Well, don't be wearing those ABC, uh, oh, ABC you're pants. Gonna hear, to you're going to hear about these ABCs. Just wait. <laughs> yeah, well, click, people click. have to know that John and I do talk frequently during the week. So Too much. Way too much. I have them on my uh, – uh, I look at my recent calls and it's like all Neil, no Karina. It's pretty bad. Well, it's, 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 it's nice to see that the masters is no longer exclusive. So, uh, on this <laughs> podcast, Lulu's earnings are uh, ball crushing to the competition. Uh, something's happening at Adidas is, uh, is there, are there going to be sneaker wars between Beyonce and Jay Z? And our special guest is Dan Sheridan, the newly appointed COO of Brooks running. Neil, tell our listeners about Dan. Yeah, we we had a fabulous talk with Dan Sheridan. Um, as, as you said, Mike, the newly appointed uh, chief operating officer at Brooks Running. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really struck me was the mentor-mentee relationship between Jim Weber and Dan and really how they have interacted and, um, and, and the things that Dan has learned from Jim. Um, you know, it's a fascinating interview. Anyone who is into the industry or wants to be in the industry really needs to listen to uh, Dan Sheridan and how he was able to come through the ranks. Excellent. It really is a great interview and we look forward to that. But JP, why don't you get us going with uh, talking about Lulu's earnings? Yeah, guys, they're apparently stretching higher. I don't know if I thought you were going to go there, Mike, but apparently not. Uh, Nicely done, though. (laughs) <laughs> Real quick on the on the uh, the Sheridan thing, I, I, the best thing about that interview, guys, was um, he he said he's an avid listener of the pod. I, I thought you know I had a, a touching moment, teared up a little bit. So thank you, Dan. Um, but on the, the, the only note, discour- the the only the only discouraging thing about that was he thought he was on Pod Save America and couldn't understand why. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> you have to we'll have to bring him back for to, to comment on that, but uh, yeah, guys. So real quick, Lululemon just absolutely soared and crushed it at their uh, Q4 earnings. I guess it's about a I don't know a week or so ago. Um, you know, overall revenues came in 
seventeen uh, percent growth year over year. Um, you know, the earnings were jumped forty percent, and and maybe the perhaps the what was the most interesting to me was um, they were able to uh, break some of their twenty twenty goals. Uh, already. And that was, you know, improved, you know, margin points, uh, earnings per share growth, and, and even the top line revenue. So they're well on pace uh, to, to capture $4 billion in revenue in, in here in the next year and a half. Um, and, you know, not don't want to, you know, go into too much here, Neil, but you and I had kind of talked about their their room to expand and, and different things. And since that conversation, we've seen Nike get into yoga apparel in a serious way. Uh, we've seen Lululemon now uh, double down on their uh, brand loyalty with the loyalty program, which their CEO really highlighted. Um, you know, you get access to uh, their sweat classes. Um, you know, you get a pair of pants every single year, which would be great uh, uh, for me. Given that, great for you. That, I love the ABCs. I got a story on that in a second. Uh, and even the CEO even called out the pants and the outerwear in the men's business was bigger than the, they had predicted. Um, so they really think they could be a dual gender brand, is, is his quote here. Um, so guys, uh, Lululemon continues to be on fire with, you know, not can't really say that with a lot of other uh, sports apparel companies. And then the last thing here that came out of this was um, they're really doubling down on the wellness and their culture of sweat. And they're doing that in a way uh, by announcing a new uh, skincare line. So if you think about, you know, cleaning yourself with sprays and different things, I don't, I, I am an owner of a new man bun, but I don't know that I'll be buying their shampoo. Uh, Neil, do you have any, uh, anything to say about this? Well, you know, John, as you know, in the uh, name of fairness and uh, you know oh, doing the right thing, I have to say that you were, um, you know, that you were really right in in a lot of ways, and I was uh, cynically wrong. Um, you know, they have really been able to expand um, not just their business or their base business. So that would be, of course, the yoga business. But, you know, they have really been able to expand the men's business well well beyond what I thought. Um, it's it's funny, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, as you guys know, in the financial world. And, you know, I go into a lot of these meetings and, you know, with the uh, fi- young financial analysts and they're all wearing their, you know, they're all wearing their uh, Lululemon ABC Friday. pants. With their Fratagonia vest, but go on. With their, oh, thank you. I was going there <laughs> next. And their all bird shoes. So it's become, uh, it has become part of the uniform of Wall Street, uh, guys. And, uh, you know, kudos to Lululemon. Um, I did not think guys would necessarily drift towards, uh, you know, the Lulu brand, especially given the name. But I was wrong. I only have two things from, on this subject. And, and one, John, I think it's hard to call what you have a bun. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's something, you know, a little bit more spiky about it if, uh, you, you have the right ponytail. And then, Neil, any, any, uh, data on, on how Adidas's, uh, deodorant sales are doing these days? Uh, I've any, never any, seen anything any, that might, anything that might anything create insights that. around the skincare line for Lulu. Well, the interesting thing is, do you guys remember uh, Mission Athlete Care? Um, you know, for a while, they were really, you know, kind of a hot brand in the category. Um, you know, that category has basically kind of cooled off completely. Um, but, you know, look, Lulu's been able to do things other brands haven't. So I'm, you know what, I'm not going to be so cynical here and, uh, you know, take the negative. Yeah, I got to, I, I, just to chime in and we can move on. Um, 
you know, Kobe Bryant is, is a new founder, investor in art of sport, which I think James Harden is involved with. And it's all about, you know, this consumer care packages and kits around deodorant and skincare. I would, I would definitely, you know, expect Lululemon to, to move into the kit territory uh, here pretty soon. But, you know, the, the last thing, and, and Sheridan even alluded to it, if you guys remember in his comments on retail, really hard to do. And I got to give these guys a lot of credit. I uh, was in the Lululemon store on 14th Street here in D.C. Uh, shout out to Brianna. You were, you were amazing uh, help while I was trying my pants on. Uh, they have this program where you can get them hemmed for free uh, if you if you buy it from, from Lululemon, obviously. And uh, she was, it, it was almost like she had a Lululemon dictionary in front of her. She was so knowledgeable and telling me the differences. And, and I was just thinking about this and like, that makes me want to go to a store as opposed to some other self-service retailers that, that are still out there today where, you know, customer associates aren't as knowledgeable as they should be about the product. Uh, she crushed it. So um, kudos to the brand and, and Brianna for, for uh, helping me find my next pair of ABCs. I'm just so happy that we didn't have to count ourselves in after that. That was like Neil talking about underwear. You, you just don't know where it's going to go. And I was, I was to... ready. I was ready to go into a dark place, there, Mike, but I, uh, yeah. I held my tongue. Well, I appreciate you holding your tongue. And as I referenced earlier, this this potential sneaker war is, you know, sneaker wars, too, between uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z. Uh, you know, Neil, uh, we, we know you're a huge Beyonce fan. So does this mean you're going to pull the Ultra Boost out of the closet? Well, you know, the Ultra Booster actually, um, I'm actually wearing my brand new Game of Thrones uh, collection Ultra Boost today. Um in a celebration, of course, of Game of Thrones coming back uh, next Sunday night. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show. But um, yesterday, Adidas made a fairly big announcement um, that Beyonce was going to be joining the brand as, um, you know, really their uh, both footwear and apparel um, like ambassador going forward. And you know, I, I actually spoke to some of my friends uh, in the business, and, and somebody called me yesterday from Bloomberg talking about this and. God, there's so many bullet points here to unpack, you know, about this particular relationship. I mean, you know, just going down the list real quick, it, it creates an interesting situation in the household. Um, you've got Jay-Z, who's a Puma guy. And, of course, Beyonce now is going to be uh, Adidas. Um, you know, will Beyonce's 130 million plus Instagram followers, you know, be the – you know, went out over, uh, you know, Puma in the brand wars in their uh, household. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, is this a good fit for Adidas? I, I think absolutely. Um, I think from a variety uh, of reasons. Um, number one is I do believe it'll help them, you know, obviously with the female customer. But I also think that this might be, and I don't have any any empirical data or any knowledge to back this up, but I think this might be the ultimate hedge bet against the Kanye Yeezy brand starting on the downward slide of the marketing life cycle. Because if you kind of look and plot the sales, which I have been doing over the last few years and months, the brand has taken a turn. And when a brand takes a turn and starts to head down the marketing life cycle, you know, it's really good to have something uh, ready you know, um, you know, kind of in the on deck circle. So I think this is really going to work, um, you know, for Adidas in a lot of ways. Um, you know, she's got that Ivy Park brand, which is now going to become part of uh, Adidas. Um, 
Beyonce bought out Philip Green, the uh, private equity investor, um, out of the Top Shop, um, you know, from uh, you know off of Top Shop, and so you know what I think this is going to work in a lot of ways. And uh, I think the last question I want to leave in, and I guess guys, is is this the next thing? Is this the next big thing that I've been talking about? You know, for Adidas. What do you guys, Mike? What do you think as a former Adidas uh, employee? I'm not sure I have the answer on the uh, the lifestyle side of things. Um, I, I, to me, I just think we're kind of in an interesting place where what I would love to see is is more of this sort of athlete rivalry, even if it's within the same house. So I'd love to see something going on between James Harden and Damian Lillard. Like, yes, they're on the Adidas team, but there's a way to sort of have them compete against each other, not just on the court or what their stats are, but the way they show up to the game, the way they dress. It's kind of like the Dan and Dave thing was to Reebok back in the day. But, uh, you know, at a certain point, I think I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of tired of the celebrity thing. Just me. Um, yeah, I'm a little exhausted about it, but you know, I think that if, if they were going to go hire, uh, anyone in the pop culture world to replicate what the rock has done for Under Armour, um, I think she might be the female rock here. I, I, I do think it'll help move, um, some products. I don't know that it'll necessarily move the needle for Adidas' bottom line. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, stop boy. the clock. Did you just equate? Beyonce. Given your rock? fandom over Beyonce, I, I I think you were singing all the single ladies when the story dropped it. I know that. I I am completely flabbergasted by that. Why? Uh, JP? Well, tell me why. I, Give me some data points. 137 million followers for Mr. Rock. How many did you say for for uh, Beyonce there? Still 130 million plus, but um, you know, will the Rock, you know, be an influencer, you know, with you know, women at all, and my answer is probably not. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not um, saying. No. And- whoa, 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 whoa! Isn't he the highest paid celebrity? The most, the most successful paid, right yeah. now. He is, and not right just cele- not just celebrity, but entertainer. The most electrifying man yeah, in she- sports entertainment is his quote, Neil. Who who quoted That's that? Rock's quote. <laughs> so that's, no, 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 but so that's it the quote I, I, To Mike's but, point, though, I am a little sick of the uh, – it, it doesn't feel as authentic. The one quote we should highlight, Neil, that you didn't touch on was uh, I think in her quote it said this is the partnership of a lifetime. So I don't know if the deal yes. was a lifetime deal. That's pretty huge. And further – you know, I, I I don't know that um, the footwear side of things will sell, but the this should give her you know athleisure, whatever it's called, uh, uh, a boost. What's the Ivy and Park or something? Yeah, well, um, well, Ivy Park. But you know, I think you're right, John. Um, you know, one of the the quotes that was mentioned by, uh, um, you know, I think it was Casper Rorsted was that he feels that this partnership will extend. Um, the athleisure trend for the Adidas brand. And, you know, we've talked about this extensively that, you know, Adidas really has been kind of lacking, um, you know, after the two year kind of blitzkrieg, no, uh, no pun intended there on the German thing um, that, that occurred with uh, Adidas superstars, of course, the famous Shelto and then the Stan Smiths, they've really kind of been lacking, um, in the athleisure category. Of course, they've had, you know, Yeezy, um, at the very top end, um, ultra boost also very top end, but they've been kind of lacking in that, um, 
athleisure kind of, uh, you know, category. So, I'll, you know, I'll be very curious to see what, you know, kind of price points they're going to launch this at, what retailers are going to launch this at. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are yet to be known, but I think it's an interesting partnership. Man, I was holding my tongue on JP's uh, pun of, of using Boost, and then all of a sudden you go down <laughs> and, and you know make the association that you did. Good luck in getting anybody from Adidas on this podcast. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> hey, we, we got some time. What else is going on, guys? Well, you know, the it's been an interesting week. Um, you know, one of the things that I was going to talk about this week, and uh, I am going to get back to it. As you know, every once in a while, I do like to get kind of on my little soapbox. Um, you know, I, I was really, um, you know, both ashamed, saddened, and, and, and I have to say downright upset about some of the things I've been reading about, you know, female equality in the workplace. And, you know, there was a quote that kind of, or a number that kind of stuck out to me, but I guess based on the current levels, um, women won't reach parity with men in terms of, you know, wages in the workplace until, um, what was it? The year, it, it was like something ridiculous. It was like 2090 or some ridiculous year. And, uh, you know, that to me is a real shame in this day and age. I mean, I want to unpack it and talk about it in a little bit more depth, but, you know, that was something that really kind of crossed my uh, desk and before the, you know, the Beyonce Adidas story also uh, hit, hit the wire. Well, and I think you can also bring up, you know, the lost wages that, you know, uh, you know, when a woman has a child and actually has to, you know, take maternity leave and, you know, some of the estimates on what can be lost over a career is, you know, I think adds to that, uh, you know, problem for sure. It does. And I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, I hate to say it, you know, older men making decisions for, you know, women, younger women just doesn't cut it anymore. And, uh, you know, look, you know, I've got a daughter, um, you know, 32, who is a, uh, you know, is an executive at one of the nation's largest construction companies. She was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. You know, um, it's funny. This has really uh, resonated with her a great deal. She has, she has become like an activist, um, you know, for women in business all of a sudden. And you know what? I applaud her for taking up that 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 cause. I do as well, but it's going to be, you know, men that do it. And the same when we talk about unconscious bias and other things that, uh, you know, the, the, the burden shouldn't be on the minority to figure it out. It should be all of us being able to step up in leadership positions to make those changes. Hey, JP, let me ask you a question. As someone that works at the SFIA, which is one of the leading industry organizations, um, you know, do, do you are, are these any part of the discussions that you guys have around the table? You know, at some of your meetings, um, as this being something uh, that the SFIA can take up as a cause. Yeah, I mean, for sure, and um, you know, a big part of our diversity efforts was recently naming. Um, Kim Davis, the executive vice president for uh, diversity and social change at the NHL, it's, it's our board of directors, which that position has never been represented uh, on our board, obviously, ever. And further to that, that position is pretty new to the leagues, to all the leagues. They, they most of them now have a, a diversity and social impact division and department, and rightfully so. Um, obviously, hockey has a, a little bit different 
you know, challenge with their fan base than maybe the NBA or NFL. Um, but, you know, it, it is a focus of ours going, um, you know, into 2019. And, and we're actually looking at uh, doing some, some mentor-like programs around the Industry Leader Summit where um, some, some mid-level management from uh, our brands uh, can come and, and actually uh, find a mentor. So maybe pairing up a, a, uh, a female mentor with, with a male and, and even vice versa. I don't think you always have to do female, female. So, yeah, Neil, we, we are looking at it um, for sure. And, I, and, you know, I think we should should bring on um, guests to talk, make this a bigger issue. The, the last thing to, to Mike's question, we can get to the Dan Sheridan interview here. Um, some of that popped on my radar was, uh, you know, I don't know if we're at peak activities or what, but, um, you know, there's this new thing that popped up on my newsfeed Ninja Nation, uh, you know, helping people train for American Ninja Warrior. This, this new gym chain is popping up. There have been new treadmill uh, chains popping up to, to, to run on treadmills and gyms like you would a Peloton in a cycle studio. And even now, um, you know, you've got all these other different activities playing on the millennials and Gen Zers. I just, I just wonder, uh, oh, and then the Catterton thing, Neil, you were talking to Blythe about their investment. They, they just yes. gave uh, some serious growth money to Tonal that came out yesterday. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm just watching this fitness and technology and it's fascinating right now. I, I don't know who the winners are going to be, but there's going to be a lot of uh, losers is my guess. Did, did you guys uh, see the uh, post from our friend David Kinnis, uh recently on that, uh, you know, that new kind of rowing machine that they are positioning as uh, I'm not sure I want to use the word competitor to Peloton, but as um, let's say another entry into that particular category of uh, product. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's something like that. I forgot exactly what they called it, but it was a you know an interesting looking machine, very sleek, very uh, you know very high tech looking. I'm not sure that necessarily rowing is going to be the you know the sport or the activity that you know Peloton has been able to create, but. You know, it is interesting to see other companies, you know, jumping in. Well, they, they did something like a million dollars in four minutes when they, they started pre-tailing that thing. So uh, yes. there, there's probably a large enough audience out there that, uh, you know, would rather not be rowing on some, you know, janky thing in their basement and uh, and do that. Hey, that being said, I think a lot of the things that we've touched on, we definitely do need to devote an entire show to and, and specifically a guest. But, you know the guest we're about to have is a company that has had huge success based on their culture. And I do think culture can be an answer if you, you know, are able to create that, that type of culture. So why don't we get to our interview with Dan Sheridan? Let's do it. Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. We're really excited to have Dan Sheridan, the newly named Chief Operating Officer for uh, Brooks. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Neil. I'm happy to be here. I've, I've listened to many of the podcasts, and it's an honor to be on with you. Well, we're lucky to have you. And, uh, you know, what we like to do, Dan, before we kind of get into, you know, some of the questions that I know me and the boys have is that, We'd like to get a little bit about your background. Um, what are those things that kind of led you, you know, to this great promotion um, at Brooks as uh, their new uh, chief operating officer? So, Dan, take it yeah, away. Sure. sure. So, um, you know, I, I tell people that I think my story is kind of boring, actually. It's, um, 
it's one that um, I think uh, some of us at Brooks share in terms of my journey at Brooks. So um, I started at Brooks in 1998, actually, as a tech rep. Um, there were five of us that were running around the country uh, simply trying to introduce our brand to anybody that would listen. And, uh, and you know, I, I kind of got really fortunate. I uh, knew someone that worked at Brooks at the time, and, and they introduced me to some people here, and, and I was hired. I was, I was actually a high school teacher before, uh, before Brooks and both my parents were educators. So I, I tell people all the time that I uh, simply went into the family business and found out I didn't love it. Uh, and so I switched careers and was fortunate enough to land at Brooks and spent most of my time, um, on the, on the sales side though, early on I was, I was in the marketing department. Um, but when I switched over to sales, I, I helped Brooks launch um, our team line in 2000. So we, we got into the team apparel business and that's really where I learned kind of customer interaction and, and service levels and, and uh, at sometimes disappointing customers and trying to figure out how to, how to uh, make it right on, on their behalf. And uh, from there we, you know, we were, um, you know, almost 85% of our business was done at specialty run uh, in the U S and, and uh, we knew that uh, we had a product line that would translate across channel and, and runners were beginning to shop across channel. So I worked on our national account business uh, throughout the U.S. and worked closely with Dick's Sporting Goods and Finish Line and, and all the general sporting goods customers for many years. And then stepped into a leadership role that led our, our U.S. sales team. Uh, we... Um, began to organize around kind of regions. So I led our North America team for a while and in e-commerce and, and uh, regional marketing. And, and, you know, the thing that I tell everybody at Brooks, which is, is not unique, but I think is unique in, in smaller companies and niche brands like Brooks is growing up in a company for 20 years, you do just about every job uh, in the, in the sales, marketing, customer service operations side, you're, you're the forecaster, you're the marketing planner, you're the event uh, executor. Um, and so I think all those experiences have served me really well and, and uh, put me in a position to, to be um, at the center of kind of our operations now. And so my role will be to lead our, our global businesses. We have um, obviously our U.S. business is, is based here in Seattle. Uh, we have a, a European operation that's based in Amsterdam that um, I, I work closely with. And then we're, um, we're really small in Asia Pacific and Latin America. And, and that group, um, you know, is really a distributor group. So we're working with partners around the world. And, um, and my role is to, to connect all those businesses to a supply chain that, you know, can continue to manage our cycles really well so that we, we execute flawlessly on delivery and service and, and then focus on the runner and figure out how to uh, make sure we're staying relevant with the way they're shopping and, and, uh, and e-commerce is a part of that and direct to consumer and connecting all of our strategies to our retailers. So um, long story short, it's been um, an unbelievable run. Um, and I feel incredibly fortunate to work for a brand like Brooks and work with a group of people that are crazy passionate about the sport of run and, um, and also the lifestyle of run. And I think that's a, uh, that's something that we're uh, we're really proud of bringing every single day to the customers around the world. 
Dan, it's Mike Gugat. And back in 99, I was chasing you guys around with a Mizuno bag. And uh, <laughs> you know, every, every day you guys were kicking our butts. And uh, I think it's a you know real testament to where the brand is today. But that kind of leads into my question. You know, for nearly a decade now, you guys have been number one in run specialty. And I would love to understand, you know, is it strategy or is it uh, um, culture that is, is driving this success? Or what is that, what is that formula for you? Yeah. I mean, we, we talk a lot about this, Mike, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we've been fortunate at Brooks to have stability and leadership. And I think when you have stability and leadership um, to the tune of Jim Weber, um, who has just an intense focus on our strategy um, while building incredible culture. And J- Jim would tell you that when he showed up here, there was a special, special culture already ingrained at Brooks. Um, you know, I felt it when I stepped in here in 1998, it was a group of people that, um, you know, at times knew we didn't have the greatest product back in, in 98, 99. Um, but we knew that uh, if we focused on the customer and executed on behalf of the customer, that um, we could do some pretty special things. That, that um, in conjunction with uh, a strategy that I think um, is, uh, you know, really hard to execute but um, pretty simple in, in how we approach the markets, which is one, um, you know, we're a product company. <clears throat> that's what we are. Uh, and yeah, that's ingrained in this culture is that, um, you know, we want to create uh, the world's best product for runners. And we want to do that season after season through fit, feel and ride and in footwear uh, through all the details <clears throat> that come through an apparel uh, development cycle, whether it's fit, whether it's materials, whether it's consistency. Um, so product lives at the center of everything we do. And then, you know, we just, we just believe at our core that at times uh, maybe we're a service company, um, whether that's for our retailers around the world, um, it's systems, it's technology, it's, it's people executing process. Um, we, we really believe that, um, you know, at times we're a service company and, and I think that gets you an extra 10% every single year. Um, we try not to disappoint our customers. And when we do, uh, we, we own up to the mistakes that we have. Um, and then we wrap it all with, um, you know, this culture piece, which, you know, I think Run Happy has served us really well. It's our ethos. It's our personality. Um, but ultimately, um, it's about not taking ourselves too serious and, and approaching relationships that way, approaching business deals that way that, you know, we'll take business really serious. We'll take running really serious, but we try not to take ourselves too serious. And, and out of that comes a fun spirit um, that, that all of us uh, that have been here a long time gravitate to and, and, uh, and, and focus on. We want to create a place that people want to come to, that customers uh, want to do business with. And I think the, the formula is one. So I didn't answer your question on what leads what, um, I would tell you that we believe culture uh, culture is the leader here, and and uh, but without strategy, you're you're probably not going to be a successful business. 
Hey, Dan, it's John here. Um, And I got to say, to to piggyback off the culture point as a guy who's enjoyed a couple of your your Brooks's parties at the run event uh, (laughs) every December, you you guys execute pretty well on that having fun part. Um, And and I'm also risking being criticized again. There's somebody on this podcast, last time I interviewed you, I said I was a little too homeboyish and and loved the brand a little (laughs) too much. But I'll I'll refrain, but but I do have to say, so looking at the press release, congrats on the uh, uh, promotion and and all Mm -hmm. that. Uh, your, your sales are 26%, I believe up year over year. Uh, it's pretty incredible when you're, you know, doing over well over half a billion in revenue. Um, my question is how how do you do that again? I mean, I'm reading, you're going to be overseeing brand sales, e-commerce, digital supply chain, and it. That's, uh, that's a pretty big task internationally specifically. Maybe, um, can you talk a little bit about the growth you guys have seen? I know that's been really huge for you. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, look, um, nothing is an accident anymore in business. Um, and not that it ever had been, but, um, you know, I think, uh, we have a group of people that are executing at a really, really high level. So I give, I give our teams just incredible, um, credit for the execution of our strategy. You know, I think we have a vision, Um, Jim, Jim says all the time that vision without execution is hallucination. And so we, uh, we, we live by that here at Brooks. So we're, we're really focused on the execution of, of our strategy and the outcome for us is growth, um, market share gains, um, and the like. And so in 2018, you know, I just, I believe that we really executed, uh, at a level that, that we hadn't in a while. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, what we're focused on moving forward, John, I think that, you know, growth, growth is truly an outcome of, of, um, teams executing around the world. And, and because of that, you know, we see a a runway for us where we see growth over the next, you know, three years, um, as we're looking at the markets. And so the U S is going to grow. Um, we know that, you know, we believe that, that the market is actually bouncing back from a, a tough couple of years, um, both at the specialty run level. Um, I think specialty has found their spot again, um, and is, is experiencing growth. I think that, um, you know, when we look at the broader channels specifically in the U S, um, it's, it's tough when you look at brick and mortar, but, the, the, the general sporting goods and the, and the, the broader channels are, are executing um, run in a, in a decent way and they're focusing on the, on the runner. So we're capturing some of that market share. And then our growth, you know, to be very um, honest with you guys is that we're, we're underdeveloped internationally as a brand. You know, we have a, we have a, a business in Europe, but we're very, very small, uh, both from a market share perspective um, and, a, and a volume perspective. So we look at, at some of these emerging markets where running is very popular, it's robust, um, health and wellness trends are, are um, as, uh, as keen and, and um, as important in, in a lot of these markets as they are in the U.S. So our, our brand sits right in the middle of that. And I think um, you know, as long as we continue to execute, you're going to see really nice growth from Brooks um, that's based on our strategy. Hey, Dan, again, you know, we're talking with uh, Dan Sheridan, newly appointed uh, COO for uh, Brooks Running. And uh, hey, Dan, you mentioned somebody who has been uh, someone who I have really enjoyed speaking with, talking, getting to know, and that is your boss, Jim Weber. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is really one of the, I think, one of the great gentlemen and, and you know, as someone who I have had a lot of respect for for a lot of years. D- Dan, I know you've worked for Jim for quite some time. What are, you know, some of the things or maybe the top three things that you've learned from Jim that, uh, you know, are really helping to, uh, you know, guide you right now? Yeah, um, Neil, it is, it is unique. You know, I, I, um, <clears throat> I don't take it for granted, actually, in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of um, Jim's leadership, not only of this company, but I think leadership in the industry to have courage um, in an industry that at times um, chases trend. And, you know, so for me, um, working for Jim, one of, the, one of the things that I just appreciate is his long-term view of our brand and of our business. Um, you know, and, and part of that's our ownership structure. You know, we're, we're very fortunate to be owned by Berkshire Hathaway, which, which takes that long-term approach. But Jim has had that um, since he stepped in here. You know, he had a vision that, that we were going to be the number one brand in run. Um, and that was our, that was our focus. So it's really his, um, his discipline around long-term focus. And as someone that's managed sales and, and marketing and, and now operations, it's really easy to um, galvanize a group around a long-term strategy. Um, the short-term thing, you can get whiplash and, and you lose people, right? So, so the first thing for me is, is Jim's approach um, from a long-term perspective. You know, I think the other thing that's, that's been really cool is Jim's discipline around um, a really well-run business, you know, and, and um, you know, our kind of filter for that is, you know, great businesses uh, grow over time. Um, they're highly, highly profitable um, and they develop great people. And, um, and so Jim's approach in, in the business side has always been that. And, and again, as somebody that, you know, spends a lot of time uh, at this place uh, to have that kind of filter um, and know that you're working for a great business and a great brand and there's growth opportunities for our people. Um, that's, that's somewhat refreshing. And then, you know, I'd go back to our culture, you know, Jim is, Jim is somebody that, um, absolutely, uh, enjoys having fun and doesn't take himself too serious and is at the center of this, this culture. So he's authentic. And I think anybody that meets him knows that, um, he's, he's somebody that, that lives this brand, uh, day in and day out. And that's somebody to, uh, really easy for, for people to follow and, and work for. So, yeah, no, I, um, I feel very fortunate. I think there's a lot of people in the industry that, um, that, that feel fortunate to have Jim's leadership around them. Dan, you mentioned the, you know, sort of, you know, being able to have this long-term, you know, strategy, if you will, because of your partnership with, you know, Berkshire Hathaway. And I think for a long time in this industry, when we talk about participation, we're often, you know, talking about cracking the code of corporate wellness yeah. Yet we're also looking at a next generation of consumers that are showing up more at WeWorks and, and places like that, you know, is where do you see that, that opportunity without giving away the, uh, the secret yeah. plans? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, looking our kind of taking our strategy and looking through some filters. One, we want to be where um, runners shop, you know? So when we look at, um, at, distribution and or emerging markets, we know because we're a premium price product that service has to be 
something that that we consider when we open up retail um, around the world and um, and so you know the reason that specialty run is is such a key part of our strategy is we know that the fit um, analysis and process that runners have to go through is intense and and the 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 best experience is at specialty run so where runners shop is like the first filter we go through um, you know in the last couple of years that that has had the um, you know, forced us to to kind of change how we view service and and convenience and and speed to market, and, and we're we're addressing that. I think the other filter is we we talk about where runners are researching for products, um, and you know that's changed obviously as we're all trying to stay um, relevant in the online space and how we how we tell product stories and deliver content to runners and. And so the research part is, is really interesting for us because um, a lot of runners research through their friend network or, or the like. And so we're building strategy around um, the research side. And then to get to your question on, you know, just the change in, in corporate structure and everything, it's, it's where people participate in the sport of run. And, um, you know, more than ever before, I think um, the workplace is embracing health and wellness, both from a from a policy perspective and whether that's on-site gyms and, and the like. And so we're constantly thinking about how our brand shows up, where people uh, participate in the sport of run, you know, before it was events. Um, and we um, have had just an awesome relationship with rock and roll marathon, introducing our brand to, to new runners because that's where all the new runners were going. I think um, what we're seeing now is this, um, change in behavior with, um, you know, the new runner and, and, and they're maybe not doing races and they're participating in community events and or Orange Theory or, or CrossFit. And so, um, you know, we're, we're starting to address this corporate wellness piece through where they actually participate in health and wellness. And, and uh, you know, I'd tell you that a lot of the great retailers in the U.S., and you guys know this, you're talking to them, are addressing corporate wellness in a way that I think is unique and, and local. And uh, so we're supporting them um, and trying to figure out how our brand, um, you know, really plays a central role in it, uh, because I believe that um, it's only going to accelerate uh, as we look forward. Hey Dan, um, you you in particular and Jim over there and and the leadership, you guys had a you know tumultuous time with 2014 and 15, even 16 Sports Authority and City Sports, and we can go on. There's a ton that that, that left our industry, um, and then you know I think it was last two three weeks we saw Models and the restructuring that that's going on there, mm-hmm. um, and then fast forward to the last episode, you had a crazy millennial say. Uh, Facebook has an opportunity to be a top five retailer in the next, you know, several years here. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's my understanding you guys don't do traditionally, you know, traditional pop-up retail. Mm-hmm. So where I'm going with this is what does the future of retail look like at, through your lens? And, you know, is Instagram shopping going to be a bigger um, a factor going forward? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, um, it's fascinating, right? I think we all um, probably read a lot of the same uh, information on on trends of shopping and and the future of retail and the fact of the matter is none of us know actually where it's headed right so um, you know John what what we're really um, trying to organize around is um, creating a frictionless journey for the runner 
And the way we think about it is, you know, we, we don't have a retail strategy um, on our even five-year roadmap now. Um, we just don't, you know, and, and I think um, retail is so hard. You guys know it. Um, every retailer that's, that's out there and maybe listening to this podcast, I have so much respect for retailers. It's just a really hard business. And, um, you know, we know this about our brand right now. We just don't have that capability. Um, but here's what we know. We know that um, we need to influence runners into our brand in a physical sense. Um, you know, we need to be able to uh, show our products um, in, in a lot of different ways uh, besides the digital engagement. Um, and so, you know, the way we're doing it now is wholesale. The risk for us, right, is that um, we can't connect an omni-channel journey for the runner because we don't own stores. And so what we're trying to do is, is connect the um, runner journey to our specialty running retailers um, around the world. And we're, um, you know, we're embarking on that in a lot of ways. We're looking for partners that can help us do that. You know, I think locally.com obviously is the one in the U.S. that um, has helped us light up our inventory and all of our specialty running stores around that are engaging on that platform. Um, but we've got plans to do uh, even more. And, and I think that um, when we look at the future of retail, I actually think it's, it's more about the future of how runners um, shop for products, research product, and ultimately how they, uh, how they participate in the sport. And so we're putting the runner right at the middle and then trying to build programs with partners and retailers um, to, to take the friction out of the journey and, and, uh, and hopefully uh, engage with runners both online and, and in store. And, and that's hard. You know, we went to, we took a, a group of uh, our uh, leaders to a shop talk down in Vegas last month. And, um, you know, what was really shocking to me is um, not one person was talking about the brand's responsibility to omni-channel. They were all talking about how the retailer was trying to solve it. And um, for me, it's, it's, you know, we have a responsibility as a brand to, to be a big part of solving omni-channel for retail. Um, and so we're, we're trying to build those strategies as we speak. Uh, and it's fun. That's, that's really fun, engaging work that people get energy around in our building because it's, um, you know, it's kind of the, the future of, of retail. Um. Dan, you know, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on the uh, Sport Lifestyle Podcast today. You've been uh, really honest and open and, and really given us a lot of good insight. You know, just before we let you go, though, you mentioned one thing about reducing the amount of friction, um, you know, that goes on in terms of the sales process. I was actually reading an article, um, I guess on Friday, about there's this one school of thought that if you increase some friction – that you increase the stickability and there's a number of other things. I mean, it, it's kind of an interesting kind of a, a yin yang thing going on. Yeah. Um, Neil, I, I, uh, you know, I approach it from um, convenience, sure. Um, speed to market. And then, um, you know, I think uh, at the transaction level, there's so much technology now that is, um, uh, helping the consumer go from discovering a product to purchasing it in 30 seconds, even yeah. less. Right. I, you know, I, I, my example is always, um, this last holiday, you know, in my, in my social feeds, I went from never hearing about 
a brand, whether it was a toy brand for my nine-year-old son, to purchasing it and it being at my house in, in two to five days. Um, and so that's the part of the journey that, you know, I think um, for a brand like ours, if, if we can reduce um, the friction in that, in that customer journey, it's really interesting. I think the stickiness is, is the part of um, what new consumers want and even existing consumers want with brands. They want a deeper relationship with brands than they've ever had. And, and we think about that in terms of, you know, our relationship right now exists through a product lens. And ultimately, we want to build out a strategy where we have deep brand engagement um, and it's sticky. Um, so they, they trust Brooks. They, they want to hear from Brooks more frequently, um, whether that's through um, you know, our social channels or through our retailers. That's ultimately the opportunity for Brooks. And if we do that, you know, I think um, growth comes, becomes an outcome of it. I think um, net promoter scores are at an all-time high and, and uh, we're servicing a, a runner at a, at a level that's really acceptable and, and adds runners to our brand. So that's really how we, we kind of view that. And um, again, I'd tell you it's, it's so fun to, to try and build strategy around that and then execute around it. Dan, Mike, John, and I would like to thank you again for coming on the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. Congratulations on your uh, great promotion, and uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you at an event real soon. Neil, uh, Mike, and John, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm a loyal listener of this, and uh, I got to tell you guys, you're doing great work, and it's fun to hear all the, the people that you've had on, so I, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks okay. a lot, Dan. I want to thank our guest, Dan Sheridan from Brooks, our sound engineer, Tyrone Lipman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment. Our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and be sure to rate us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.